Well, good morning. Good morning. All right. Good to see you at the Mill Church this morning. I just wanted to uh, welcome our visitors today. If uh, this is your first or second or third uh, week in attendance, thanks for coming. We're glad you're here. It's good to see some new faces. And if you would be kind enough to fill out a welcome card, we would appreciate getting to know you a little better and having a record of your attendance. You can do that. By going to the mill.church slash welcome, the mill.church slash welcome on your smartphone. You can also uh, fill out a hard copy version at the high top table on your way out if you choose to go that route today. So thanks again uh, for being here. Uh, We recognize that everybody has a choice of where they uh, attend church and we're honored that you've chosen to be here today. So thanks. I wanted to uh, share uh, some of the meaning behind the song that Steve spoke into at the end of our time of singing this morning because I felt like, you know, as I think back, Martin Luther said, if, if we know the words of the songs that we sing... He could care less about the church's theology. Uh, What he meant by that was, our singing informs what we think about God. We'll remember, you'll remember, uh, the scholars tell us, researchers tell us, the lyrics to the songs that we sing far longer than you'll remember anything that I'll ever say. That's kind of disappointing when you choose a career as a pastor and you learn that people won't remember what you say. Um, But it's true, we remember songs uh, longer. They come back to us, they have a melody attached to them. And this song that we sang this morning is a a relatively new song. A few years ago, a lady by the name of Sandra McCracken recorded this, but it has a very hymn-like structure. And I was reading a little bit about this song, and I wanted to share this with you. We Will Feast in the House of Zion is a fantastic song that is rich in theology and hope. The song, although newer and modern, is hymn-like in nature. Its theological richness complements the simplicity of the melody line. It's very easily singable and easily teachable for any congregation to jump into. The song is steeped. In the word of God, for instance, we declare the chorus together. We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things. We will say together, we will feast and weep no more. Similarly, in Isaiah 33, 20, we read, Behold Zion, the city of our appointed feasts. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, an untroubled habitation, an immovable tent whose stakes will never be plucked up, nor will any of its cords be broken. McCracken chose Zion as the focus of the chorus of this song, and beautifully so. She points us to the, to the restoration and goodness of God through this song. She uses the verses to weave narratives from the scriptures on why God is good and how he restores us. Verse 1 draws from the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, along with the story of Noah and the flood. 
Verse 2 references Psalm 46 and reminds us to cling to God in dark times and to hold fast to the hope of that promised morning when Jesus restores all things. And finally, verse 3 expounds on the faithfulness of God and His promises. This song is a gift to the church at large, providing a depth and language that is both old and new. The subject of heaven and the new earth have not provided the best songs for congregations to sing, often focusing on an individual's escape from this awful and terrible world. But the community language of this modern hymn is something believers in Christ can really encourage one another with. And singing it together helps shape our minds and hearts toward that day when we will be with God and He will be with us. How many of you are looking forward to heaven? Anybody besides me? Yeah, it's going to be a great place. So Father, we just thank you today um, for the privilege to come into a sanctuary whose near sole purpose is to honor you with a sacred hour, hour and a half, one day a week. Lord, we just want to ascribe worth and dignity and value to you. We want to declare that you matter to us, that there is worth-ship, worship, worth-ship in you, that you are worthy of our time, our energy, our focus. Lord, that's why we're here. And we know that you come and are here among us, your people. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have the privilege today of introducing Adam Schneer. Adam is going to share his story of God's faithfulness. If you're newer, every week this year in 2020, we're having a a tender at the Mill Church Share their own story of God's faithfulness to them. Will you give a warm Mill Church welcome to Adam? Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Zach. Um, so I uh, am going to, some of you may not know this story, and so I'm going to be brief with it, and there's much more I could share. I'd love to. Um, later, um, but I, I uh, my name is Adam. I grew up in Racine, Wisconsin, in a Christian family, and so I don't really recall what my life was like before Christ because um, my father and mother could tell you that, but but they made a choice, and our home was full of Christ. And so, um, but I can tell you about a lot of struggles I had once I reached adolescence, and uh, they mostly all revolved around this, my struggle with pornography and addiction to that, and also um, just anxiety, fear, things like that. Um, they, I lived a duplicit life, <laughs> um, going back and forth where I would pursue God with all of my heart, all my soul, and I would indulge on the side all my heart and all my soul, and I just felt torn, absolutely torn. And especially, I knew Christ was always there for me, but, you know, that that kind of hurt more, <laughs> knowing that he was always there for me, and I always turned my, my face from him. Um, it, this, 
gets darker before better, but in short, all through college, I still struggled. There was times that I had freedom, but it always was an addiction. And um, one time I was in college and at a Christian university, still struggling, and I woke up. I actually had a dream, and it was a very spiritual dream in which I saw um, the reality and then the spiritual world, like, mirroring each other. And there was people that I didn't know in the, in the real world. And in the spiritual world, I saw that they were a little bit demonic. And not, like, scary demonic, but, like, they were just laughing at me. They were laughing at me because they were like, look, this guy doesn't even know. He doesn't even get it, what he's doing to himself, what's happening. It's, they were calling me a fool. And I woke up scared out of my mind. I called my dad and talked through it. And um, we were in, I was in Minneapolis, and so I just wa- it's like barely light. And I walked downtown the whole time. I could not go to sleep. <laughs> this was like a life-changing like, moment for me. I'm like, what in the world? So um, I had a lot of friends around me, but one in particular that I confided in, told him everything. I knew I couldn't lie. And so uh, there's a lot more to this story I could tell you about that, but he, he helped me um, through that, and at that moment was like the beginning of my freedom from that addiction. And um, as I was out of that, I began to see Christ more clearly, right? I began to live daily um, in freedom, and that, that was just incredible. So fast forward all the way to today, and the struggle is still real every day. Anybody that's ever dealt with addiction knows that. And, um, but the freedom is there, and that means, like, every day I get to give um, my honor to God and my wife and my family. I never knew if I would have a, <laughs> a family because I felt so much guilt, right? Lord, you know everything. Like, how am I ever going to have a blessed, like, life? <laughs> and, and, and he's given me a family and, and a blessing and a community, and I just want to praise him for that. So um, lastly, just, um, so that's one, the one really quick note I just while I have the mic I want to praise the Lord um, for everybody who also prayed for my mother Um, she was very very sick with COVID and came through she was like a day away from death (laughs) and um, she's here and she's healthy well she's not here but she's living (laughs) so I want to say thanks to the Lord for that because this is you know 52 stories of God's faithfulness um, and he's the Lord of mine so thank you Thanks, man. Yeah. Appreciate you, Adam. Thanks for sharing your story today. If you are uh, here and have a Bible along with you, you can open to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible that you like to follow along with, it'll be on the screen behind me. This is our fifth week in a study in the book of Colossians. This study will take us all the way to summer. So if you're new, don't feel like you've missed out on anything. Just because you're walking into a continuation does not mean that God won't speak to you today or any other day, uh, you know, as if it were a... uh, standalone sermon because he does when we go through verse by verse it's it's there's been so many instances in the past where you know somebody would say to me pastor that's exactly 
what I needed to hear. Or Zach, my aunt, visited, and she just couldn't believe. She was only here a Sunday, just couldn't believe how God spoke to her. That's just the Holy Spirit and the way that he moves. And he moves through our planning as much as he moves through our spontaneity. And he's just... uh, seeking out the hearts of men to reveal the will of God too. And I hope and trust that he does that for you today. We have shared a little bit about our author, Paul, uh, who's not writing from an office edition in his comfy home, but rather he's writing uh, from prison. He's not in the suburbs. He's in the pit. Paul has never been to the city of Colossae that he's addressing in this letter that's since been called Colossians. Uh, He does not know the congregation. He is not their pastor. He is uh, the pastor of their pastor. So their pastor is a guy by the name of Epaphras, and Paul is serving as a bishop or a superintendent. His role is to pastor pastors, and many pastors, especially if They're in a denomination or have a structure or an organization, have pastors. I'm no different. I have a pastor. So that was the case in the first century as well. And where we left off last week, Paul was honoring this man with his words. And he was demonstrating how I believe we can honor one another. Even if there is disagreement, it's important that real Christians handle their disagreement in love and in honor. We cannot forget that the world is watching us. We cannot forget that our witness can be destroyed if we do not love one another, particularly in an age of social media. And so today, I want to get into a few gifts that God has for us that Paul mentions in a few verses in chapter 1. These are gifts God desires to give us in order to help us. How many of you would say, I want to grow in my faith? I want to learn. I want to get better at this thing called Christianity. Yeah. So, um, if life is to come out of us, then God wants to put life in us. He wants to grow us. He wants to challenge us. That is uh, a big part of what Sunday morning is for, learning His Word. By contrast, God does not want to withhold things, withhold things from us. He wants to give us good gifts, and He knows that we cannot thrive in atmospheres of uncertainty and without the knowledge, the tools, the equipping that we need to do well in this life. So I'm going to begin reading in verse 9, and we're going to see some gifts that God has given us. Verse 9, And so, from the day we heard, we have not, this is Paul writing to the church at Colossae, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So the first gift that I want to mention to you that God gives is God fills us. That is a gift. And what that means is that throughout the course of your life, there is always something, 
always something to learn. There is always a way to grow. There is always more revelation to receive from God. This, this goes for Christians who are green and new to this thing, uh, all the way to those who have been mature in the faith, known the Lord for many, many, many years. We're all still growing. Nobody has arrived on this side of heaven. Okay, We will always fall short of the kingdom of God. We must always seek to grow closer to Him. So some of you, again, have been around the creek bank, we'll say, for many, 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 many years. And I would say some practical things like, don't just go back and return to the same books of the Bible over and over again, your favorites. I mean, some ways to grow in Jesus could be to pick new ones. Pick new books of the Bible to read. Don't just lean on the verses that you memorized 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 years ago. Memorize new verses. Don't just go back to that favorite Christian book you read and read it and pick it up every year. Pick up some new authors. There's always more to learn. Amen? All right. So how do you grow? First, you read. You read. I've told you many times, if, if I were to preach one sermon and only preach the same sermon every Sunday, the sermon that I would choose, I'm not sure where I would draw uh, the text from, but I would tell you to read and pray, read and pray, read and pray. Reading is important to grow your personal faith. And you can actually do it via listening uh, to someone else read if that's your way to, to, to do it. Uh, there's Bible on, I almost said Bible on tape. That would date me, wouldn't it? Bible on tape, that's not really a medium that's around anymore. But we have uh, Bibles via app, via MP3, uh, you name it. So you're just smiling, Leslie, because you remember Bible on tape. Uh, yep, on Sunday mornings. That's how we used to, people would come up and say, I want today's sermon. And you'd be duplicating tapes in the usher's closet, and you'd sell them a tape for $2, you know. Thank you. All right. Anyway, that's beside the point. We don't do that anymore. It's all web-based, right? So another way, um, in addition to reading a, a physical copy of the Bible or the app on your phone, you know, is to, is to pray. Talk to the Lord. Listen to the Lord. Engage the Lord. Meet with the Lord. A number of you, some 60 of you are doing that right now. I know a lot of you have said, Pastor, don't think I'm not with you, but I'm doing my own thing in the YouVersion app or in my Bible. So there's lots of people who are having a prayer focus at the beginning of, of this year. Another way, a third way to grow in your faith is to talk to people who are farther along the journey of faith than you are. So receive wise counsel. Uh, find people who know what you don't know and who have done what you can't do and learn from them. Uh, say to someone else, hey, I've noticed my wife is crying and your wife is laughing. Help me with that. How do I structure my life? How do I live so that my wife laughs more like your wife does and cries less? Okay? You might say something like, hey, I've noticed, and the Burrises have said this, your kids are very well behaved. <laughs> How do we do that? What's your secret? What's your trick? 
share with us some nuggets of, of wisdom, right? Um, hey, you really seem to love the Bible. I just can't get into it. Here's where I get stuck. Will you help me love the... How did you fall in love with the Bible? Man, you know, I've, I've noticed this about you. You just seem to have such a vibrant prayer life. It just seems to be so natural for you talking to God. Man, this just seems so rudimentary to me and just so wrote to me and it's, it doesn't feel personal. How can I learn from... Would you help me... Learn. Tell me what you know about prayer. Okay, so we can we can take wise counsel from people. So through reading, through praying, through wise counsel, God will fill us like the Apostle Paul wrote. God will fill us. We will continue to grow. Number two, God will walk with us. Chapter one, verse ten. So as to walk in a manner. Worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. So the Bible uses this analogy of walking with the Lord again and again. This is kind of a cool analogy. How many of you dads remember a season? You may be in that season now. That season may have been 50 years ago. But you remember a season where you held your child by the hand or on the pinky and walked with him or her. Anybody? Raise your hand if you've walked with your child. Okay. Why is that important? Because if you don't walk with the child, the child would run in the street or the child would get lost in the mall or the child would find and get into something that he or she shouldn't find and get into so there's this analogy that the Bible uses of, of walking with God. We are his children. We are his children. And he walks with us. He walks with us. The Bible uh, uses this imagery because our proclivity is to think, I can walk by myself. Thank you very much. I don't need anybody to direct me. I'm independent. I know exactly where I'm going. I remember one time I was a kid and I thought I was so independent and cool when I got a dartboard and darts for Christmas. And I, I just thought my parents had entrusted me with something sharp for the very first time in my life. And I was so excited to receive this gift. And so a buddy of mine and I were out in the garage and we were flinging darts at the back of the garage from the doors inside. We were flinging these darts. And when we would go get the darts from the board and turn around, what we would do, because there were these big two cardboard boxes toward the doors of the garage that were sitting there, we would, instead of, because it's so hard to carry darts across the room, right? Um, so we would turn around and throw them back at the boxes. And it wasn't too long thereafter that my parents opened their Christmas gift 
from their mom and dad, which were two brand new appliances. Are you tracking me? Which happened to be facing the direction of the dartboard. And they had dings from our dart tips all in their brand new appliances. How many of you know that that was not one of the best days of my life? Okay. But I thought I, thought I was independent, see. I, I didn't know I still needed guidance. I thought I was impervious. Not only was I not impervious, the appliances weren't impervious. They took holes on, right? So um, what are the implications of having a father who takes us by the hand and walks with us? Though we may be adults, we're called his children. What are the implications? Well, first, we're not isolated. We're not alone. And what this means is that you never have to fear being alone. It means God will never leave you. He'll be with you forever. This means you don't have to walk in fear. There's, I believe it's 150 times that the Bible says, do not fear. Do not fear, do not fear. Actually, I think it's more like 360 something times. It's close to one time per day of the year. Do not fear, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. It's a, it's a reoccurring message throughout the scriptures. So it, it's, it's harder to fear when we're holding the hand of our Father. Would you agree? So hold on to God's hand and let him guide you. Um, this means you don't have to know your destination. If Caroline is walking with me and my three-year-old at a new place and it's multifaceted and it's complex, does she need to know where she's going? She doesn't. Why? She's holding my hand and I know, I hope, where I'm going. If I know where I'm going, it's not a problem for her. She doesn't need to know where she's going. And, and the, the correlation, of course, is if God knows where you're going, you don't have to. You don't have to know where you're going if you're walking with God. All you need to do is take the next what? Step. What is a walk made of? It's made of steps. One step at a time. What is the next step that you need to take in your walk with God? In your growth plan? In your desire to know Him more? Maybe the question on your mind is, should I take that job or not? That's the next step in me being obedient to Jesus. Maybe it's, is it time to pick a church? Maybe that's the next step to being with Jesus. Is it time to start, start praying with my spouse? That's the next step in me drawing closer to Jesus. Is it time to fast one day a month? My goodness, I read and I pray and it's fulfilling, but I've never fasted. 
I've never given up a meal or something that mattered to me so that I would focus on and pursue God during that time or with those resources. Uh, Maybe it would be uh, forgiving somebody. You're embittered. You have held on and it is penalizing nobody but you. The person you're mad at is walking scot-free, having the time of his or her life. And yet you are seething on the inside. John Eldridge at Wild at Heart said, Forgiveness is like setting a prisoner free and then realizing the prisoner's who? Yourself. All along. Is it pursuing a mentor? What is the next step to walking with God? So are you walking with the Father? And if so, what is the next step? Point number three. God gives us the ability to bear fruit. Verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit in every good work. How many of you, when you were a kid in school, you were given dirt in a cup to take home? And what? Am I the only one? Okay. Because my kids just brought these home. I would imagine this has been going on for generations, right? So, because uh, I did it in school. So, what do the teachers do? They send you home with dirt in a cup and you put a seed in it, right? And you put water on it and you sit it in your windowsill. And what happens? Well, you sit there. I'll tell you what happens. Nothing happens when you're a kid about this tall. Nothing happens because you're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for something green to pop through that layer of soil. But then what happens? It does. It does. And, and your eyes light up and you get so excited and you say, Mom, Dad, come look. Or more than likely, uh, you know, son, daughter, come look. Because they done forgot about it. Because it didn't come in right away, right? So, um, the ability to bear, to bear fruit. Um, how happy did you feel in, in that moment that there was life and not death? See, living things bear fruit. So, what's your point, Pastor? You are that cup of dirt. That's my point. <laughs> Congratulations. You are that cup of dirt. Once the seed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is planted inside of you, you, it will take root and you will bear fruit. So maybe you're discouraged this morning because all you can see is how far you've got to go. All you can see is where you should be down the road. I would encourage you to look back this morning, look back and ask yourself, what has God already done in me? What has God already done? How have I already changed? Who would I be without Jesus? Where would I be without Jesus? Wow, that puts things in perspective. I already see a lot of fruit. Now I just need to take the next step. And if you would say, uh, Pastor, to be honest, even when I look in the past, I don't see fruit. 
I don't see growth. I would say to you lovingly and respectfully, you may not be a Christian. You may not be. Because when Christ encounters an individual, there is change. There is growth. This may be some some religious experience that you're participating in, but it hasn't hit you personally. Another gift that God gives. He empowers us. Verse 11. Strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Have you ever looked at your life and said to yourself, I can't do this? I cannot continue on like this? Some things got to change. I remember Shannon and I, we found ourselves, uh, we had four kids under seven. And we adopt, not we didn't adopt, but temporarily we fostered uh, a sweet sibling pair of girls. And we were told they'd be there six or seven days. And we found ourselves three or four months in saying to ourselves, changing three diapers. You know, three of the kids had diapers. Can we do this? God, help us. Lord, we're going to throw an object, throw each other. Something's got to change. We can't do this. Something's got to give. Have you ever found yourself looking at your life and saying, something's got to give. See, that's when the Holy Spirit comes along and God supernaturally gives us what we need when we need it. It's cosmic. It's bigger than us. It's divine. It's His gift. And when God does give us His power, we have, what does verse 11 say? We have endurance. How many of you would say, I could use some endurance this morning? None of you. Okay, Pam, I'm glad. I could use some patience. Could anybody use some patience today? All right. And along the way, you'll have joy. Can anybody use some joy today? God's power is available to us. Number five, God will encourage you. Verse 12. How many of you would just prefer that I never ask you to raise your hand again? Raise your hand. <laughs> gotcha. God love you. <laughs> this is very, very difficult. We give thanks to the Father. We give thanks to the Father for you. You've got to find a way to praise in the middle of your problem. I think T.D. Jake said many years ago, there's never been a storm in the history of mankind that hasn't passed. And you know what? He's right. That situation Shannon and I were in, it passed. 
and the sun came out. And our child rearing, though it's still difficult, you know, we're experiencing for the first time now that we have a 10, soon to be 11 year old, a little bit of that like golden right before teenage years, where things lighten up just a little bit before all hell breaks loose. You got to praise in the middle of your problem. You got to find a way to get grateful in your trials. If a guy in prison can tell someone what he's thankful for, then you and I ought to be able to tell somebody what we're thankful for. We're not even in prison. There's hope in the middle of hurt. There's joy in the midst of grief. You just have to find it. God will reward you. Verse 12, there's another gift from the Father. Man, you talk about a gift. Giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now I'm going to ask you this question. This is a general question. I'm not talking about either of your parents' uh, wealth, okay? I'm just talking about a general question. How many of you would say that the word, generally, the word inheritance is a good-sounding word? It just sounds good, doesn't it? Inheritance, man, whoo, inheritance. That may or may not be your life experience, but it's a good-sounding word. We can all agree that it's a good-sounding word, and I will tell you, it will be your life experience on the other side of when Jesus returns if you honor Him with your life. The difference being, it won't be your life experience for, say, 40 years to enjoy. It'll be your life experience in perpetuity, forever, eternally, to enjoy. Guess what Paul's saying? In the kingdom of God, there is an inheritance that awaits the saints. This isn't the only place in the Bible we're told this. What it means is that God is preparing an inheritance of all sorts. An emotional inheritance, a physical inheritance, a spiritual inheritance, an economic inheritance, a financial inheritance. He's storing this up for us. Think about it. If you're lame, you will walk in heaven. I have enjoyed, I know it's not good for you, but I've enjoyed sleeping in my stomach, all on my stomach, all of my adult life. I love just rubbing my face in my pillow and, and nodding off and going to sleep. Okay? Right now I have two rotator cuff problems, issues. I can't throw a softball, nothing. You know what I'm mad about? I'm not even mad about the rotator cuff issues. I'm mad that I can't lift my arms above my head and snuggle into my pillow. Now i got to sleep on my back. How many of you would say, Pastor, it gets worse as you get older? Okay, see? Guess what? I'm not going to have that issue in heaven. You're not going to have your issues in heaven. There's going to be a physical, biological inheritance 
for you in heaven. We're going to get a new body to praise God with in heaven. Not to mention your anxiety, your depression, your addiction. Paul's saying, if you're lame on earth, you'll walk in heaven. If you're blind on earth, you'll see in heaven. If you're poor on earth, you'll have riches in heaven. If you're hungry on earth, you'll eat your fill in heaven. This is why Jesus says that we store up for ourselves treasures not on earth where moth. You ever had a moth eat a hole in your sweater? In your new sweater? Does, do you not have that problem in the Midwest? I remember having that problem in the Southeast. You had to put mothballs in your closet. You ever heard of a mothball? Why do you line your closet with mothballs? So moths don't eat your sweaters. That's why you do that. You'd be wearing a new sweater with a dress shirt underneath and somebody points out right here, you got a big hole in your sweater. What happened? Did it rip? Nope, a moth ate it. That's what happened. Okay, Jesus says, don't, don't buy treasures on earth where moth and rust. Anybody ever had something get rusty on you? That's a problem in the Midwest. I see some of the cars you guys drive. You've had, you had that problem. okay. Where moth and rust destroy, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where moths can't get after your stuff. Where rust won't take over your stuff. He'll reward you. Verses 13 and 14. He has delivered from us, he has delivered us from, excuse me, the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of our beloved son. This is amazing. It's amazing. I don't know why this isn't on the news every single night of the week. You know what we should be hearing instead of some presidential agenda or some country stacking troops up against another country's boundary or you know some economic perspective outlook. We should be hearing about somebody delivering us from the domain of darkness and transferring us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's bigger news. That's bigger news. That news is, is life-changing for an eternity. So Jesus transfers our citizenship from hell to heaven. That's big news. He takes our sins. He takes our shame. He takes our pressures. He takes our worry. And He carries them for us to the cross. He becomes sin. He's unrecognizable. You belonged to Satan and Jesus comes and conquers your enemy through his death. Then he rises, he ascends. Today he's high and exalted. He's seated on his throne. The Bible says the train of his robe. Some of you had an 80s wedding. You know what a big train looks like. The train of his robe fills the temple. Fills the temple. 
He hears your prayers. He sees your tears. He loves you. He cares for you. He walks with you. He's preparing a place for you. He'll never leave you. And when all is said and done, we will be his people living together in his kingdom. And every one of us is one breath away from bowing to him. The king. We either do that in our heart today according to our choice or we do it like everyone else who has not chosen when he returns. It's not just the saints' knees who will bow when Jesus comes back. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The difference is some knees will bow to their reward and other knees will bow to their judgment. Do you know the Lord? Is He real in your life? Are you growing? Would you just bow your head this morning? Is there anybody here who would say, I don't know Jesus. I just want to become a Christian today. I want to turn my life over to Him. I want to trust Him as Savior, as Lord. I want to believe in Him for the first time. Would you just look up and acknowledge that with your eyes, lock eyes with me? Awesome. Anybody else? Anybody else want to give your heart to Jesus today, become a Christian today? Anybody else? Well, the Bible says, you can look up here, the Bible says that the angels in heaven throw a, a bigger party when one individual one lost sheep is found, then, then 99 righteous sheep huddled together, never lost. So one person looked up this morning. You know what other Old Testament story comes to mind? Or rather, uh, yeah, Achan's sin. Do you remember when Achan hid the treasure under his tent? He was the only one in the camp that sinned, but the community felt the devastation, the impact. Somebody here confessed their sin this morning and wants to love Jesus. So I would invite you, if you already know Jesus, to pray this prayer with me, including the person who's going to be praying this for the first time. Let's repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. I am in need of your grace. Please forgive me. Take away my sins. Give me an inheritance. Call me your child. I'll walk with you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen.